In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Second Samuel, chapter six. So, guys, just a quick review. Now, in Second Samuel, we have seen that David the prophet finally became a king of all Israel, and not only he became a king, now he started to become victorious. He defeated all his enemies, and God started to give him rest. And not only he was able to defeat his enemies, but also other foreigner leaders started reaching out to him and giving him gifts. And he started to be in a place where he's resting, a place where he's victorious. And in our life, a lot of times we go through periods where we have exams and studies and we're stressed. And sometimes we go through a period of rest. But now we want to see what David did when God gave him all the victories. And all the rest. And I think the next couple of chapters are probably some of the reasons why God said, our Lord Jesus Christ said, the heart of David after my own heart. Because of David's action. When David became victorious, he defeated the Philistines, and he started having good relationships, he became powerful. Let's see what David did in chapter 6. It says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. So David brought in 30,000 people. That sounds like uh, you're going for an ar- a war. Humongous number of people. Okay? And, and those people, yeah, and obviously, they are the best people he's bringing. But what is he taking 30,000 people with him? It says, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. David, after he became victorious, he realized the victory is because of God. So he said, I want people to celebrate God. So what are you going to do? I'm going to bring 30,000 troops, and we're going to have a big procession, and we're going to celebrate the true king of Israel, God. You know, it's like when you, you, a lot of you guys just finish your finals and you might get your grades and a lot of exams you were worried about and then you did really good. What do you usually do after you, got, you did really good? You said, man, I worked so hard. Let me go eat and celebrate with my friends. And how many people come to church and offer thanks to God for helping them to go through this period of difficulties? The victory is for God. I think, honestly, a lot of times God can speak to us in a louder voice through difficulties than joy, because with joy, we forget and we leave. With difficulties, we are focused because we we understand our need. But here, he came to bring the ark the ark of God. If you guys remember a long time ago in 1 Samuel, we said, where was the ark of God? The ark of God was stolen by the Philistines and it went and destroyed most of their cities. So they left it in a house in an unknown Levi in an area outside Jerusalem. So the ark of God has been in a random home with a Levi, a priest who dedicated himself to serve God. This is important because David 
the, the prophet, he did not want people to focus on him. He wanted people to focus on God. Let me bring the ark of God. There's one thing just to get a, just out of explanation. You will see that the, there's two names that are interchangeable. If you look in First Samuel chapter seven one to two, the place that they had the 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 ark in, it's called Kiriath Jorim. It's the same name as Bel Judah. With time, this name evolved. So these two are alter are the same place, and you'll see it also. Uh, this story, you see this, this, the same names in Joshua 15.9. The ark of God, he said, the, ho the Lord of hosts, he sits between the cherubim because on the top of the ark of God there are two cherubims that are, are, are there. So he says, the Lord of God, the Lord of hosts dwells inside the ark of, of God. And in Exodus, we know that the ark was the place where God met with his people. So David is seeking the presence of God in his life. David is seeking the presence of God in his life. Now there's a problem. When David wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he wanted to bring it by his own way. His own method of thinking how he can worship and offer generosity to God. He said, let me bring a lot of troops Let's offer a lot of sacrifices. Let's do things my way. David did not, at this point, consult a priest on what is the right way to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He did it, was motivated by his good heart, but we will see what happens because he missed some important details. So once they went to the house where the ark is in chapter 3. So they set the ark of God on a, on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. This is the guy who had the ark, which was in the, on the hill. And Aza and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out, to the, uh, out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. So they placed the ark on a new cart, but if you guys go back to Exodus, there's something tricky. When you put the, the ark on a cart, you have to have certain rings, and in those ring, certain rings you have to have poles, and then people carry the ark on, their sh on the poles, not the, not the cart. And these details are in Exodus 25, 12 to 14. So they carried, the, they carried the ark on a cart. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord and all kinds of instruments, a firewood on harps, a string instrument, trampolines and sistrum, and on the cymbals. They, they're having a great procession. The cart is moving, a lot of singing. You guys know if you have a, ever attend a football match, you have a, the whole marsh, marsh band walking in front of them. This is almost like this. It's a humongous event. And David, as a singer, is composing songs to celebrate God. And when they came to Nakan, threshing floor, Asa put his hands to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Asa, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Let's stop here a little bit. Everything looks good. David the prophet, brought in, he has a good desire. He wants to focus on God. He's bringing the ark, procession, soldiers, everything looks good. And all of a sudden, the ox stumbles. The ark is about to fall. 
One guy, Ezra, decides to touch the ark. To fix it. What happens? Dies immediately. And you might think, wow, this is harsh. You guys remember in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there were a husband and a wife who lied about the, the money they offered to the church. And St. Peter told them, by this much you sold, you sold your field? And they said yes. And he told them, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And both of them died in the same moment. Usually, when God is trying to establish a new worship or revive a worship that has been hidden for some time, he wants to remind us of how much we have to have reverence to the worship of God. Because if I don't have reverence, my relationship with God is not going to be on the right terms. My worship will be missing. My worship will be missing. By the way, Azza, the guy who died, doesn't mean this guy is going to hell. This guy could very well go to heaven. He's acted out of, out of, out of a heart. Who knows what his heart is? God knows. But God wanted to teach everybody around. Make sure that you have reverence to the place of worship. If you don't, you're not going to be able to worship. If you don't, you're not going to be able to worship. Now, for example, sometimes you see people talking in the liturgy, using their phone in the liturgy, speaking loud, eating in the church, ha making the church like a social place. You're not going to be able to have the right reverence to the church. So it's important for me to understand the mindset that God wants me to be in worship. Why? Because if I go in and deep inside my heart I understand that I'm talking to the Lord of Lords, God of heaven, I will completely forget everything about myself and focus on him. A lot of times our worship is selfish because we do not realize who we're standing in front of. Who knows more? Who has more vision and more wisdom and more love and everything except God himself? I personally think we all struggle from this, is that we come to church and we don't realize the seriousness of where we are. And I told you this before, Gandhi, Gandhi was raised in a Catholic church, a, a Catholic school. And one time he said, he said, if I believe what the Christians believe about the Eucharist, about the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will be drooling in fear as I approach communion. There's an important reverence that I need to have when I pray. What does that mean in my life? It means even when I'm starting to pray, I need to prepare myself. Sometimes, for example, people in the car, 
they listen to in music that doesn't help prepare the soul to pray. Sometimes, for example, you come and you're doing your spiritual canons. You come and let me just do it while I'm sitting, while I'm in my bed sleeping, with an offering to God that looks embarrassing. It looks this offering of a person who does not understand whom he's talking to. And God says, I want you to wake up. Not because God wants to punish, but there is a, there is a lot of power inside that God wants to get it out. And what, it will not come unless the reverence and the fear of God is clear inside our hearts. Inside our hearts. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Azza. And he called the name of the place Perez Azza to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Abd Adum the Gittite. You see here, this is a beautiful part. David was planning to take the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. When this happened, David said, Who am I that the ark of the Lord come to me? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Now he started, he started to understand he's not doing God a favor. And he's not like acting like, you know, here God, so how much I'm giving you. He started to understand that I'm not even worthy to have the ark come to me. And David, out of his weakness, became angry with God. And that, by the way, feelings that we all might have when God comes and tries to add some discipline into our life, we get angry. Because a lot of times when we worship God, we want to worship Him our way, not the way He wants us to worship. But here, David started to say, you know what? There's something missing in my worship. I need to have some fear of God. I need to understand where I am and who he is. He started that he cannot understand, I cannot take it to my own house. I have to have a Levi to take care of it. I have to understand how to carry it properly. I have to understand the commandments of God that I need to follow. I cannot worship in my own way. I have to worship the way that God wants me to. Now, David, obviously, he left the, ho- the, the ark again with another Levi, and he was angry, and he was, he was afraid, and he left, and he told God, I don't deserve that the ark comes. Then the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Abd Adum, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Abd Adum and all his household. Now, when the Lord blessed this man's house, David understood that God is not against him moving the ark. He's against the disrespect that happened to the ark. He's against the disrespect to what that happened to what to the ark. And that's why sometimes holy things, especially in, in our homes and our churches, it's good for us to treat it 
with the reverence, otherwise eventually we'll get used to it and we'll lose its respect. And I was actually, we had um, somebody brought a relics of one of the saints so people can take blessing from it. And once it walked in, everybody started taking blessing of the relics and praying and singing. And it was sitting for some time and all of a sudden I'm looking and I see a lady did not pay attention. The relics is next to her. She was sitting and putting her hand on the relics and doesn't even realize that she's, she's, she's resting on the relics. When something becomes too available and with something I feel it's too approachable, I lose the reference to it. But David, because he loves God and he wants God to be in his house and he's fighting for the blessing and he's trying to understand. He did not say, you know what, God did this. Okay, fine, leave the ark, whatever it is. I'm going to move on with my life. He still loves God. This is the difference between somebody who's following the commandments just based on their own sin themselves versus somebody who loves God himself. You can see it even when people are having discussions. How can I grow closer to God? I need, to, I need to develop in the service. It's all about me. Sometimes people have their eyes on Jesus. And David had his eyes on God. Yes, I being, I'm being disciplined. It looks bad that I'm the king and I brought all these people and then God made me look bad in front of the people. But I will continue to learn. I will continue to fight for the blessing. Now, it was told now it was told King David saying, The Lord blessed the house of Abi Adum and all that belongs to him because of the ark. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Abi Adum to the city of David with gladness. Now David says, You know what? This is amazing. I'm going to go bring it with a lot of joy. He was so happy. So it was when those hearing the ark of the Lord, it, it, uh, so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, six steps that he sacrificed an ox and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. David said, you know what? God wants to come. He went all out. He went all out. God is coming. What are you going to do, David? Every six steps. Six steps remember, resembles the, the working week every six steps. Day of rest, he sacrificed an ox and a, and a fatted sheep. Imagine they're, they're walking from one city to another. That day he probably slaughtered thousands. And what he did as a king, he took off his royal clothes and the ephod is almost like the priest clothes. The garment that they wear under the clothes. And he, w and he started dancing in front of God with a lot of joy. David the king looks like a simple person in the choir of God as he's bringing God to his own house. This is honestly the way we should feel as we approach communion when we come take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when the church was closed during COVID and once the church opened, I had a kid who came to me and told me, Abuna, I wanted to do prostrations from my car all the way to the church before I take communion. 
because it has been over six months since I have not walked into the church. How joyful we are when we come to take communion. Imagine kiddah, God looking at your heart and seeing some people cannot wake up, they're so lazy, they're tossing and turning in bed, and somebody who cannot wait to come. Cannot wait to meet him. Somebody is dancing out of joy that he will unite with their beloved on that day. David brought the ark to Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem represents the heart of man. He brought the ark, the presence of God, inside his heart. The moments after we take the body and blood of God, it's some of the happiest moments in our life. Because I brought God into my heart. Now the ark, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. And Michal, Saul's daughter, this is David's wife, looked through a window, the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Just a quick question about David, a quick point about David dancing. David is not dancing the way that people dance at a wedding or at a nightclub or all this stuff. David is dancing in a way of worship. For example, when the church goes in a procession around, so David, if you go, if you go back and see what David did, David divided people into choirs and marsh bands, and they had to walk in a certain ways. So it's almost like he's walking, he's respecting, he's worshiping God, and it was out of, out of his love to God that he was jumping in front of the ark of God, but there was a, a very organized marsh that was walking, walking in front of him. So this is a worship, an act of worship. This is not an act of self-pleasure. This is not an act of, uh, of, of self-entertainment. Completely different. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, when she looked at him from the window, she despised him. Why? Because at, th at this time, in this era, there was that mindset that a king should avoid mixing with the people. To be like a great king, you have to be inaccessible. You know, some people, for example, some CEOs, to make it seem like, you know, they're just like gods, you know, they would have even their own elevators at work. Nobody can ever see them walk or coming. You can't see them. He comes in, leaves in. To see him, it's a big event. Imagine you walk a Fortune 500 company, and you go get your coffee machine, and you find the CEO drinking coffee and hanging out with you. You'd be like, this is strange. So here, she looked at him and she despised him. Because Michal loved a certain version of David. David the warrior, David the king, David the hero. She, did not, she does not like David who worships. She does not like David who gives to the poor and donates. She likes David the powerful, the strong. She likes a certain version. And she despised him. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David has erected for it. David offered burnt offering and peace offerings for the Lord. Tons of offering, 
He felt so unworthy. He's like, how can I thank you, God, for doing this, ever, ever doing this to me? This is the most amazing day of my life. What you have done is something I cannot imagine. It's so wonderful that you came to live in the city I've built. Once David has finished offer, uh, uh, offering burnt offering and peace offering, burnt offering and peace offering, by the way, are two offering for two purposes, thanksgiving and a commitment to God. You're giving thanks to God and showing your commitment to him. And I think a lot of times in our prayer, we miss on the idea of showing my commitment to God. God, take everything from me, but me, keep me with you. God, strengthen my spirit and weaken my body. God, make me all yours. I'm committed to you. I want to be used by you. Commitment to God. When David finished the offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, just like the priest does in the church. At the very end, there's always a final blessing before dismissal. Then he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, and to everyone, loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. David, because he loved God so much, he wanted every person in the, in the, in the, in the congregation to leave happy. Extra food for free. He didn't count. He didn't sit with a budget. How much I'm going to offer to God. Whatever God wants. Unlimited. Unlimited. Look at your saving account. It doesn't matter. Whatever I can give, I will give. That's what he's doing. Your time doesn't matter. Whatever I can give, I can give. This was probably one of the best days of David's life. When God came and entered his house. And from that day... Jerusalem will become the Jerusalem that we know. Before this, we know, never heard about Jerusalem. His heart became the center of worship for all generations. And an example for all of us to follow. A heart that is joyful to receive the Lord. Then David returned to bless his household. He went back home. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said to him, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncover himself. Michal saw him very happy and very excited. By the way, even if David did something wrong, this should not be the way to rebuke somebody. But he came home, full of happy, full of joy, and she's telling him, yani basically you embarrassed us. What kind of king are you? You're walking kid in front of people. You look like everybody else. I want to tell you something kid important. There are two obstacles in serving God and offering to God. The first one is yourself. The second one is other people that are close to you. First one is yourself. The second one, people who are close to you. A lot of times you want to offer God more and people around you, no, 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 enough. 
enough time, enough money, enough effort, rest, don't do this, don't do that. And the first one is you. Because I want to please myself, I keep it to myself. David was faced with a problem. His wife does not approve his worship to God. But he knows that God accepted it because the ark came to Jerusalem. And God is happy with, the, with what he's doing. So David continues in the path of worshiping God and doing the right thing. Even if it means it might not please people. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his household to appoint me a ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will even more undignify than this and I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you spoke, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Micah, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her birth. David, the response focuses on God. He told her, I do not regret my act of service, my act of love, my act of worship. He told, he told her, I wish I could be even more humble in front of God. If I could do something more, I will. And he told her, all those people who you think they despise me, they actually will honor me. I am a king, but in front of God, I am nobody. Now, for the first time, David speaks kind of harshly about Saul. We have never seen this before. When Saul was trying to kill him, he would always call him, my Lord, and I pray for you, and you're going after a dog, and a dead dog, and a flea. Never David spoke or was aggressive about Saul. The first time we hear him saying, God had chosen me instead of your father. Obviously, I'm not justifying his response. But it shows that an unwise rebuke can bring the worst out of people. An unwise comment can make people say things they don't want to say. So I have to be careful about how I reach and speak to people. And, and that from that day on, Michal did not have children. Obviously, this was a way of uh, uh, a punishment for her for disrespecting or despising the worship of David. What does that mean? If I see somebody serving and I try to put obstacles in their life, God does not bless me. I am here to push and encourage and to help no matter what people to serve God. And now we see that finally the ark of God was installed in Jerusalem entered in a joyous event but with every joyous event there is always a war there is always a complaint, there's always weakness. Nothing that is done for God without being fought. Here we saw David's 
David's wife made his tried to ruin his day basically after he served and after he tried to preach and to teach the people how to sing he came back home and the devil was waiting for him let me ruin your day and you should expect that when you serve God well expect it expect it if you don't serve God well don't worry your life will be easy most of the time okay now it came to pass that the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around if you think about this in a spiritual sense sometimes you have a lot of stress in your life school graduation financial constraints all the stuff God says I will rest you I'll give you rest from all your issues what you gonna do you know what is this time reminds me of think about COVID time you're busy and you're going to school and you're stressed and you have million things and God says okay everybody's gonna go home what are you gonna do at home let's see what David said that David uh, it came to uh, and, and the king said to Nathan the prophet this is the first time Nathan comes see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells inside a tent curtains then Nathan said to the king go do all what is in your heart for the Lord is with you so what's happening David is at rest he's enjoying his life he looks around and he says the ark of God is in a tent this is how it was during the time of Moses and David was not happy. He said, how can be? How can I have a very fancy palace and a very nice house and God is sitting in a tent? If you guys remember Psalm 132 verse 4, it says, I will not give sleep to my eyes nor a slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David, in the time of rest, he started to develop a spiritual desire. What is the spiritual desire you want? I want to build a church. I want to bring people close to God. How can I find rest for God? Even though this was never a commandment from God. By the way, God likes to be in a, in a tent. Because God wants always to remind us that this world is temporary. And he's always moving with us. God always likes to, likes to live in places that are poor and humble. Like the manger. And to be honest with you, maybe I go off tangent a bit. But when you look at where Jesus stayed in his life, it makes you feel good about Jesus is staying in your heart and my heart. When I look at the manger, we're animals, we poop, we bad smell, we, we tell God, you stayed there. This looks like my heart. I want you to come and stay inside. God always picks the places that are humble. But because Nathan saw that David loved God so, so much and all his desires were pure, he told him, go for it. Do all what is in your heart. Okay? So David had a desire to build a temple. This is, by the way, he's talking about building the temple. Later on will be the temple of Solomon. 
But Nathan told him, do what's all in your heart. But see what happened. But it happened that night that the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt. Even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all, my ch all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So what's going to happen? Nathan is going to go home. God is going to come and tell him, I do not want David to build me a house. The spiritual desires that we have, no matter how good they are, and how genuine they are. David is doing everything right, by the way, at this moment. Even his father of confession told him, please, build it, you're doing great. God came and told him, no, not David. And we're going to see later, God has different plans. And why God did not want David to do this. Maybe God did not want David to be so occupied with buildings. And instead of focus on worship and psalms and prayer and all the beautiful things that he brought, he'd focus more on building fancy buildings and all this stuff. And he looks at his accomplishment or pleasing God in terms of physical building rather than a spiritual building inside. Maybe God did not want David to be prideful. The best house that held God was the womb of St. Mary. The most humble creature that God created. God came and dwelt in fullness. That's why the angel told St. Mary, you're full of grace. God told him, I have never, ever asked to live in a building. There is a reason why I live in a movable tent. Because I want people to understand that if they don't hold fast on me, I am movable. I'm not a heavy guest that comes. If you want me, you stay with me. If you don't want me, I will leave. And he left. The ark left Israel. But God came and told him, no, I don't want David to do it. And now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from the following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. Look, God rejects David's request, but look how God does it. God calls him my servant. And by the way, David is one of the most clear types of Christ in the Old Testament. And God calls him my servant. Because when Jesus came, he lived as a servant. God told him, you are my servants. 
And God told him, I want, I want to remind you of something. What is it? That I took you when nobody knew who you are. Because remember, when Samuel went to Jesse's house to ordain his children, he started showing him all his children, and then he ran out. And Samuel told him, is this it? Oh, yes, we have one left. He didn't even invite him to the meeting to meet Samuel the prophet. God told him, I brought you when nobody knew you. I brought you to take care of my people. Almost in a way, God is telling him, you think you're going to build me a house. You think you're offering me something. The Anna, I have everything you have is all planned and was given as a gift to you. This is important because God is teaching David humility. When David was walking with God, the deepest spiritual desires were examined and taught by God to David how to live and how to think and how to process. Nothing was left unchecked. Sometimes you feel like, I have a good desire. Why, why, what's wrong with that? And God says, no. I know your frame. I know what will help and what will harm. This is what God is telling him. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And this is true. You guys know in until now, Israel, they're, in Israel, they're so proud of the star of David. The time of David is one of the greatest time in the history of Israel. Big kingdom, very well respected, richness, established, victory. Foreign leaders now trying to build a relationship. He told him, I give you everything, you've want, everything any king would want. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And plant them, that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the son of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously, since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, and the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Wow. So God started telling David, told him, look, I brought you when nobody knew you. I have given you a kingdom. I made you a shepherd of my people. I will make, I, I defeated all your enemies and I will make nobody oppress you. And not only this, I will build you a house. David's desire was to build the house of what? Of God. God says, no, I will build you a house. David's desire is not what God wanted for him. But because he's asking for a pure heart, God did not return him empty-handed. He gave him promises. And give him, we're going to see later, give him special blessings that he was not even counting on. He was not counting on. 
When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish, in his, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. Whenever you hear the kingdom forever, it's talking about who? Jesus Christ. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he, so, um, let me finish this. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the blows of the sons of men. All the prophecies in the Old Testament, you always see them interchangeable between the current events and the prophecies of the future. So here he's talking about Solomon and Jesus at the same time. If you guys, just to make it clear, if you guys open the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Chronology, in, in order of time, who came first? Abraham came first. But when the gospel of Matthew opened, it said, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So God is telling him, I will build you a house. So God is talking about two homes. One that Solomon will build, and that will be temporary, but there is a house that will be built forever. And he told him something special. He told him, your son, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with rods of men, with blows of sons of men. And that's one of the main reasons why many people believe that Solomon repented. You guys later on know, that Solomon strayed away from God and worshipped foreign gods and all that stuff. But God made a promise to David. He told him, if your son commits iniquity, I will chasten him. Can you imagine? This is a blessing. If people are far away from God and God is chastening them to bring them back, this is a blessing. The worst thing is God can leave you. And not care. And God told him, I will have a special relationship with your child. I will watch over him to make sure that he remains connected with me. God willing, next week we'll continue. So I just want you guys to look at this beautiful chapter and see how when you walk with God, you start seeing things in a different level. We're no longer talking about wars and killing and all that stuff. God started to elevate us to spiritual desires and the Ark of Jerusalem and building a house of God and praises and worship. You feel like you're in heaven. When we start thinking about ourselves and sins, we're going to see David later on committing big sins. You can almost feel there's a big drop. Now we're talking about things that just you don't even think about. Why? Because I am dealing with my sins not dealing with the spiritual life. The difference between heaven and earth is a thought, the small action you take, is a decision you make. Jerusalem inside your heart could come from a small action you take. From today, I will dedicate all my time only for God. From today, I will not waste any time. Every minute counts. Small decision can make a difference.